Chapter Eight of The Daughter of a Magnate by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Eight Splitting the Paw. Preceded by a track boss along the ledges where the blasting crew were already putting down the dynamite, a man almost as large as Glover and rigged in a storm cap and ulster made his way toward the camp headquarters. The mountain men sprang to their feet with a greeting for the general manager. It was Bucks. He took Blood's welcome with a laugh, nodded to the roadmasters, and pulling his cap from his head, turned to grasp Glover's hand. I hear you're going to spoil some of our scenery, Abe. I thought I'd run up and see how much government land you're going to move without a permit. Glad you got down so promptly. Callahan had nervous prostration for a while last night. I told him you'd have some sort of trick in your bag, but I didn't suppose you would spring the side of a mountain on us. Am I to have any coffee or not? What are you eating, dynamite? Why, there's Ed Smith. What are you hanging back in the dark for, Ed? Come out here and show yourself. It was like you to lend us your men. If the boys forget it, I shan't. I'd rather see you than a hundred men, declared Glover. Then give me something to eat, suggested Bucks. As he spoke, the snappy, sharp reports of exploding dynamite could be heard. They were springing the drill holes. Bucks, sitting down on the boulder, wrapping the tails of his coat between his legs and taking coffee from Young, drank while the men talked. From the box car below, Ed Smith's men were packing the black powder up the trail to the pole. When it began getting into the holes, Glover went to the ledge to oversee the charging. In the Pittsburgh train at Sleepy Cat, an early dinner was being served to the canyon party. They had come back enthusiastic. The scenery was declared superb, and the uncertainty of the situation most satisfying. The riot of the mountain stream, which plunging now unbridled from wall to wall, had scoured the deep gorge for hundreds of feet, was a moving spectacle. The activity of the swarming laborers, preparing their one tremendous answer to the insolence of the river, had behind it the excitement of a game of chance. The stake, indeed, was eight solid trains of perishable freight, and the gambler that had staked their value and his reputation on one throw of the dice was their own easy-mannered guide. They discussed his chances with the indifference of spectators. Dr. Lanning, the only one of the young people that had ever done anything himself, was inclined to think Glover might win out. Alan Harrison was willing to wager that trains couldn't be got across a hole like that for another twenty-four hours. Mrs. Whitney wondered why, if Mr. Glover were really a competent man, he could not have held his position as chief engineer of the system, but Dr. Landing explained that frequently Western men of real talent were wholly lacking in ambition and preferred a free and easy life to one of constant responsibility. Others, again, drank, and this suggestion opened a discussion as to whether Western men could possibly do more drinking than Eastern men and transact business at all. While the discussion proceeded, there came a telegram from Glover telling Dr. Lanning that the blast would be made about seven o'clock. Preparations to start were completed as the company rose from the table, 
and gertrude brock and marie were urged to join the party marie consented but gertrude had a new book and would not leave it and when the others started she joined her father and judge saltzer her father's counsellor now with them who were dining more leisurely at their own table bucks met the doctor and his party at the head of the canyon and took them to the high ledge across the river where they had been brought by glover in the morning in the canyon it was already dark men were eating around campfires and in the narrow strip of eastern sky between the walls the moon was rising work trains with signal lanterns were moving above and below the break dumping ballast behind the track layers at a safe distance from the coming blast a dozen headlights from the roundhouse were being prepared and the car tinks from sleepy cat were rigging torches for the night the blasting powder in twenty-pound cans was being passed from hand to hand to the chargers score after score of compact cans of high explosive had been packed into the scattered holes and as if alive to what was coming the chill air of the canyon took on the uneasiness of an atmosphere laden with electricity men of the operating department paced the bench impatiently and track men working below in the flare of scattered torches looked up oftener from their shovels to where a chain of active figures moved on the face of the cliff word passed again and again that the charging was done but the orders came steadily from the gloom on the ledge for more powder until the last pound the engineer called for had been buried beneath his feet in the sleeping rock after a long delay a red light swung slowly to and fro on the ledge from the extreme end of the canyon below the cat's paw came the crash of a track torpedo answered almost instantly by a second above the break it was the warning signal to get into the clear there was a buzz of rapid movement among the laborers in twos and threes and dozens a ragged procession of lanterns and torches they retreated foremen urging the laggards until only a single man at each end of the broken track kept within sight of the tiny red lantern on the ledge again it swung in a circle and again the torpedoes replied this time all clear the hush of a hundred voices the silence of the bars and shovels and picks gave back to the chill canyon its loneliness and the roar of the river rose undisturbed to the brooding night on the ledge glover was alone the final detail he was taking into his own hands the few that could still command the point saw the red light moving and beside it a figure vaguely outlined making its way when the red light paused a spark could be seen a sputtering blaze would run slowly from it hesitate flare and die another and another of the fuses were touched and passed with quickening steps tier after tier was covered until those looking saw the red light flung at last into the air it circled high between the canyon walls in its flight and dropped like a rocket into the rat. A muffled report from the lower tier was followed by a heavier and still a heavier one above. A creeping pang shot the heart of the granite. A dreadful awakening was upon it. 
from the tier of the utmost holes came at length the terrific burst of the heavy mines the travail of an awful instant followed the face of the spur parted from its side toppled an instant in the confusion of its rending and with an appalling crash fell upon the river below with the fragment still tumbling the nearest men started with a cheer from their concealment smoke rolling white and sullen upward obscured the moon and the canyon air salt and sick with gases poured over the high point on which the pittsburghers stood below torches were shooting like firefires out of the rock from every vantage point headlights flashed one after another unhooded on the scene and the song of the river mingled again with the calling of the foreman that ends the fireworks remarked bucks to those about him let's watch a moment for glover's signal to me as soon as he inspects he is to show signals on the cat's paw and if it is a success we will return at once to sleepy cat by the way mr bucks i shall expect you and mr glover up to the car for my game supper have you arranged for him to come i have mrs whitney thank you oh see those pretty red lights over there now what are they asked louise who stood with Allan harrison the signals exclaimed bucks three fuses good for glover that means success shall we go when the sightseers made their way out of the canyon material trains working from both ends of the break were shoving their loaded flats noisily up to the ballasting crews and the water was echoing the clang of the spike moles the thud of tamping irons the clash of picks the splash of tumbling stone and the ceaseless roll of shovels foot by foot length by length the gap was shortened bribed by extra pay driven by the bosses and stimulated by the emergency the work of the graders became an effort close to fury watches were already consulted and wagers were being laid between rival foremen on the moment a train should pass the point above the peaks the stars glittered and high in the sky the moon shot a path of clear light down the river itself the camp kettles steamed constantly and coffee strong enough to ballast eggs and primed with unusual cordials was passed every hour among the hundreds along the track in the lower yard at sleepy cat the pilot train was being made ready and the clatter of switching came into the canyon from still further came the barking exhaust of the first train engine waiting for orders for the canyon run glover pacing the narrow bench below the camp returned again to the operator's table and in the light of the lantern wrote a message to medicine ben when it had been sent he upended an empty spike keg and sitting down before the fire got his back against a rock and gave himself to his thoughts men straggled back and forth but none disturbed him some in turn fed the fire some rolled themselves in their blankets and lay down to sleep but his eyes were lost all the while in the leaping blaze a volleying signal of the locomotive whistle roused him he looked at his watch and stepped to the verge of the ledge toward sleepy cat a headlight was slowly rounding the first curve the pilot train was coming 
and below where he stood he could see green lights swinging. The locomotive of the work train was at the hind end, and the roadmasters standing on the first flat car were signaling. Malls were ringing at the last spikes when the head flat car moved cautiously out on the new track. Car after car approached, every second one bearing a flagman re-signaling to the cab as the train took the short curves of the canyon and entering the gorge rolled slowly beneath the cat's paw over the prostrate granite. The track men parted only long enough to give way to the advancing cars. The locomotive steamed gingerly along. In the gangway stood a small, broad-hatted man, Morris Blood. He waved his lantern at Glover, and Glover caught up a hand-torch to swing an answering greeting. Down the uncertain track could be seen at reassuring intervals the slow green lights of the track foreman swinging all's well. The deepening drum of the steaming engine as it entered the gorge walls, the straining of the injectors, and the frequent hissing check of the air as the powerful machine restrained its moving load was music to the tired listener above. Then, looming darkly behind the tender, surprising the onlookers, even Glover himself, came the real train. Not till the road builders heard the heavy drop of the big cars on the new rail joints did they realize that the first train of fruit was already crossing the break. Ten minutes afterward, Bucks, who was with Mr. Brock in the director's car, had the news in a message. The manager had agreed to have Glover present for the supper, which was now waiting, and for some time messengers and telegrams passed from the Brock special to the canyon. It was not until 12 o'clock that they learned definitely through word from Morris Blood that Glover had torn his hand slightly in handling powder and had gone to Medicine Bend to have it dressed. End of Chapter 8